Hello and welcome everybody to the Book of Jude. So glad you take time out of your day to sit and listen. I hope you have your Bibles, something to write on. A lot of note taking today, but first, but first, I am so glad that I don't cover current events, that I don't cover politics. <laughs> because if I did here in America, uh, that's all the show would be about. And this is not this is not what I do. I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about current events unless it spills over to my lane. My lane is theology. My lane is Bible. My lane is religion and Christianity and a little bit of spiritual care coming from the chaplain part of me. But for the most part, I'm talking about theology and religion and Christianity, evangelicalism. So some of these political and current events have spilled over to my lane. And I want to make one thing very clear. Because, or I should say just because I'm a Christian, doesn't mean I'm a Republican. It doesn't mean I voted for Trump. It doesn't mean I'm mad and think the other side is wicked. It doesn't mean I voted for a Democrat. I'm not a Democrat. It doesn't mean I voted for Biden. It doesn't mean anything. I'm not telling you anything. It doesn't mean I voted at all. And by the way, that's my right and moreover, I served the United States in the Army for seven and a half years, and the only reason I got out was because I was medically discharged. I got injured. I would have still been in today. I was proud of what I did. So whether I vote or not, that's my business, and that's my right. Now, God puts people in power, and he takes them out of power. Whether we like them or not, we are called to pray for them. We are called to pray for them. A typical United States evangelical Christian is pressured to vote for the Republican or the person who says they are a Christian. And again, don't think that I think. Don't assume that I believe that a man like Donald Trump is a Christian. I'm not saying he's not but don't assume that I believe he is. We somehow misconstrue scripture, just like always, and we think that if someone says they're a Christian, they are. I mean, it happens with celebrities too. It happens with these prosperity prophets. They, they teach from the Bible. They'll use something from the Bible and they'll tell you or tell you us that they are a Christian, but there's no fruit. Let's go back. God ordains these things. God can put people into power, take them out of power, use them for judgment, use them for wisdom and clarity, no matter what, no matter what you believe. Okay. No matter what you believe, audience from all around the world, I apologize. And he talked to my people. No matter what you believe, these, this happens. God's in control, right? And on top of that, the Bible tells us to pray for these people. It's very simple. But to get caught up in all of the madness, if, if I, as an individual, have, a, have an opportunity and a privilege, and a, I mean a, a right to vote, then that's my business. I am not, whether I vote or who or don't vote or who I vote for, no matter what happens, it is my business and I am not going to go on social media and talk bad about the other side or talk about how great my side is. It's just going to get you in arguments. It's, it's unfruitful. Nothing good is going to come out of it. You, you can be a part of your groups, your Republicans, your Democrats, your whatever. You can be a part of any group and around like-minded people all day long. But when we're trying to fight with each other and argue with each other, and please don't, don't fall in, don't play their game. Whatever we're seeing on the television screen or the computer screen or, or, or what have you, 
don't fall into the trap. And that's all I saw. That's all I saw this year is people falling in, or this past, this the fall, and then uh, really early in January here, 2021, people falling into that trap. Just don't do it. To all you Christians, remember, we're called to a higher standard. And our standard, our measuring rod, our measuring stick is the Bible, God's holy word. Hey friends, if you enjoy listening to the Book of Jude podcast, share it with your friends and let them know that they can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast for the Android, and many other places. So like I said, I don't speak on this unless it spills over to my lane. Let me tell you something. For a few weeks now, I've been offended, right? Quote unquote. I'm really not. But listen, I didn't want to make this a series, but I feel like I'm still talking about it. So once again, I am offended. And let me tell you why. Um, speaking of the prophetic prosperity prophets, that's what I, prosperity prophets. Speaking of these people uh, calling themselves Christians, they're not, they're from another religion. I'm talking about the word of faith, hyper charismatic, Pentecostal spirit filled, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. All these people, most of the people you see on TV, obviously on TBN and all those kinds of networks, the prophets, the word of faith, the word of knowledge, the the prophecies that were put out about Donald Trump being in the presidency for a second term. Oh my, oh my. Let's look at this. Uh, here are some, some, some of the false prophets that prophesied it standing in the office of prophet, speaking the word of God. Kenneth Copeland, number one, of course. We all knew him. You, you know, that's the guy that uh, destroyed the COVID virus in, in March, I think. But any, anyway, March or April, maybe. Uh, but we won't go there. Um, Jeremiah Johnson, Mario Murillo, Kat Kerr, Lance uh, Walnow, I don't know how to say his name, Jonathan Kahn, Kahn, as in con man, Joe Dawson, uh, Dr. Bridges, Dr. Keenan Bridges, he'd be interested to see what kind of doctor he is, Greg Locke, Pastor Greg Locke, boy, he, yeah, anyway, Chuck Pierce, this guy's been prophesying about everything, it's so funny, let me just, Mike Lindell, Pat Robertson, Pat Robertson, Paula White, Perry Stone, Hank uh, Kuhnman, Kuhnman and Kurt Landry. That's some of them. So what shall we do with these false prophets? Because let's, let's imagine, let's pretend that we all view them as Christians and we all accept that they are prophets. They think, they think that we're trying to say, oh, no, we should stone you now. No, no, we're not under, listen, the, if you committed adultery, the man and the woman should be stoned to death. We have people commit adultery. We're not asking for the death. And we're not asking for these people to, to die at all. What we're trying to point out, it, and I, it, it blows my mind that there are people in this world that still follow them. If I spoke like them, I would have triple the amount of followers and likes and shares and and good thing I don't do that for this because they're speaking things that you want to hear they're telling you they're they're tickling your ears they're it's the sugar-coated gospel it's the watered-down gospel there's no other gospel it's this it's this other religion it's mysticism they're telling you you want to hear. They're glorified motivational speakers. And when we call them out, they want to say, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, uh, I believe it goes through 21, do not quench the Spirit. 
do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything and just hold firmly to which is good. Um, obviously, that's taken out of context, but that is what they hold on to. Do not utterly reject prophecy, but examine everything. So I've heard people use the phrase, um, uh, eat the, chew the meat or swallow the meat, spit out the bones or something like that. As in, if someone prophesies over me, uh, if it fits, then receive it. If it doesn't fit, reject it. And so they go to First Thessalonians 5. You know, what do I say all the time? Context, context, context. What is First Thessalonians 5 about? But before we go there, before we go there, um, number one, a valid prophet or apostle, no one ever asked for money. And that's exactly what these thieves are doing. They're asking for money. But if a prophet under the Mosaic Covenant spoke a word, spoke a word, and it did not come to pass, they were deemed a false prophet. They were not speaking on uh, on the behalf of God, and they were stoned to death. Now, let's take away the stoning because we're, we're not under the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, um, covenant a uh, uh, law uh, we don't live under that law and so um, yeah you need to repent you need to repent and you need to step away from ministry step away from the office of prophet again let's let's just pretend we believe these things the, you know we're going to we're going to uh, believe in the office of prophet and I personally do not, but I'm just saying, let's pretend uh, then all of these people that claim they're speaking on behalf of God, they need to go home. And they they will not. And we all know why, because they're in it for the money. They're in it for the money. And so uh, prophecy, they, you know what I heard? Prophecy takes practice. Bethel teaches you know, Bethel Church out in Redding, California, Jesus Culture. If you listen to them, you're listening to Bethel. And uh, these are the people that unfortunately, when a precious baby died um, and was in, in the morgue, they were having a service where they were stomping and, and crying out to the little baby, ask, uh, de you know, declaring and yelling for her to wake up. I mean, it's, this happened a couple, not, not even two years ago, I don't think. I mean, these are these people. Logically, they believed. I'm, now, remember, I'm a hospital chaplain, okay? So when a person is put into the morgue, whether they're uh, two or 90 years old, it's sealed, it's closed, it's locked. Um, it's The outer door is locked, but inside is a, a very, very cold temperature to preserve. And so what they were logically, not really logically, but if you think about it, what they were saying or wanting to happen was their precious little baby to wake up in a pitch dark freezer, basically. Um, yeah, and, and, and I guess then pass again because nobody can survive in there. But anyway... Uh, logic is thrown out the door, obviously, and uh, when when somebody dies, um, they die, you know. But uh, these are those people who say you have to practice the, in the prophetic. So if I if I believe God wants me to be a prophet, I need to do some practicing, and I need to go up to people and say, Hey, can I can I practice? I'm I'm practicing hearing from the Lord. Can I prophesy over you? No, no, you may not, and please go away. <laughs> that would be my response. Uh, God is the only one who gives the word, and if that word is off, wrong, uh, anything other than 100% perfect, then it's not from God, and that person is a liar. That person is blaspheming the Lord's holy name. When we look in the Old Testament and when it says, um, 
do not take the Lord's name in vain, when you break it down in the Hebrew, it's saying, do not use God's name for falsehood. Do not misrepresent God's name. Do not. So a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to um, curse and say his name like, oh, my God, and it has nothing to do with God and or Jesus Christ taking his like, obviously, absolutely. We're checking all of those. But blasphemy um, covers all of these things. And the wording is do not use his name for falsehood. And I mean, there is nowhere, nowhere in the Bible. Remember, I just told you all of these people got it wrong about the second term for Mr. Trump. All of these false prophets got it wrong. Do you know why? There's nowhere in the Bible where a person is having to learn or practice how to prophesy. Nowhere in the Bible. And so when they got it wrong, they were put to death. They were put to death. Remember the story of Balaam, the donkey that's talking? So whether you believe the donkey spoke or not, let's just stick. Balaam, a pagan, sorcerer, idolater, fortune teller, he, hear, he heard God's voice with clarity. So, when God is actually speaking to someone, it is with clarity and it is 100% correct. So, be aware before you take the name of the Lord to falsehood. That alone is a commandment from his word and it should be enough. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you want to hear God's voice, Look no further than the pages of your Bible. And if you want to hear it audibly, I jokingly say, download the app and push play on the app to hear God's voice from the Bible. All right, so remember this when someone, when you yourself are trying to uh, exercise proper hermeneutics, exegesis, we've, we've went over these, uh, remember this, clear passages always govern unclear passages. So you cannot take a clear passage, well, let me say it like this, you cannot take a unclear passage and, and, and make that govern somehow a clear passage. So clear passages in the Bible always govern unclear passages. And, and so you have a, a standard there, right? And number two, off-topic passages do not over, overthrow on-topic passages. I learned this just recently. I, I, th I think it's a brilliant way to, I just wanted to share that with you. So when you're looking at verses like 1 Thessalonians 5 and somebody from this other, this charismatic religion, and they say, don't quench the spirit, do not utterly reject prophecy, and by examine, hold everything firmly. My, my heart is for you not to be deceived. And I know so many in, in the churches of, uh, well, these, these buildings with this other religion. Um, I, so, I know so many who are deceived, and I'm so grateful to God that he, he opened up my eyes and my family were able to see the truth. And, and um, I may share a little bit more about that one day, but I just it, my heart hurts and breaks for those that are still in it. So let's look again at uh, God's word, shall we? First uh, Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So verse 19, don't quench, right? The fire of God's spirit is not to be doused with sin. Believers are also instructed to not grieve the Holy Spirit. We see this uh, in Ephesians 4.30. But to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And to walk by the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.16. Verse 20, prophetic utterances. This phrase can refer to a spoken revelation of God. We'll look at that. But most often it refers to the written word of the scripture. These prophetic utterances are authoritative messages from God through a well 
recognized spokesmen for God that, because of their divine origin, are not to be treated lightly. When God's word is preached or read, it is to be received with great seriousness. Authoritative message by those in authority, the um, inspired apostles, the prophets. So again, I direct you to God's word. We are told to examine everything. This call for careful testing and discernment is in response to the command of verse 20. So one is never to downgrade the proclamation of God's word, but to examine the preached word carefully. You need to be like a Berean. Paul went and preached. They received it, but they also, um, by him teaching, they also fact-checked it. <laughs> I'll use the word we use now. They, they fact-checked it with God's word. What is found to be good is to be wholeheartedly embraced and what is evil or unbiblical is to be shunned. So Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, it's an apologetic theme with a historical correlation between Acts and 1 Thessalonians. Uh, also, ecclesiastical theme with the portrayal of a healthy, growing church. Number three, a pastoral theme with the example of shepherding activities and attitudes. Number four, there's a theme of eschatology with the focus on future events as the church's hope. And number five, a missionary theme with the emphasis on gospel proclamation and church planting. So because of their effective ministry, the Jews had Paul's team evicted from the city. So they went south to evangelize Berea. So I think Paul had multiple reasons for writing this. He was separated from the flock, okay? And so him being separated, he wanted to make his purposes clear. And and again, he, he wouldn't, he's wanting to encourage the church and answering about false allegations. He's comforting the persecuted flock. He's He's um, showing, he's reminding them of the importance of mor moral purity, condemning the uh, sluggard lifestyle, correcting a wrong understanding of prophetic events, and diffusing tensions within the flock, exhorting the flock in the basics of Christian living. And in all that, he was expressing his joy in their faith. Allow me to also share with you um about the importance of the written word, uh, the Apostle Peter. So again, we're going to God's word. We're going to an inspired apostle. Let's go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And um, I'm going to start reading at verse 16 because I think it's important to know if someone is speaking uh, on, the be on behalf of God, uh, listen to what the Apostle Peter says. So verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Number one, let's just stop there. When people call themselves apostles, capital A, um, no, no, absolutely not. You have to be an eyewitness and you have to be appointed by him. Verse 17, for when he received the honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, and we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Remember that? Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the Holy Spirit from God. Wow. So you're telling me to listen to you when you say, I just feel God has put this on my heart. I just, I just feel like I heard. I had a dream. I, 
I feel like God is telling me, no, 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 no. Are you an apostle that I, an eyewitness to Jesus Christ and appointed by him personally? And of course not. Well, then we're done talking. Because I do not want to hear someone's own interpretation of Scripture, and I don't want to hear them speaking an, an act of human will. No prophecy has ever been made. Um, no, I don't want to hear anything. And we, we, we see that they are wrong, wrong, wrong. If you don't know already, Facebook, Book of Jude, hit like and subscribe. I share many, many articles and uh, text that I have gathered over the years, uh, part of seminary and other things. And so this week I shared about holistic spirituality. No, it's not mysticism. It may sound like a New Age book title, but it is not. Uh, a lot of words from uh, Dr. Boa conform to his image. I also shared about church history uh, from Dr. Ferguson, uh, core, core Jewish beliefs maintain that the basis, it goes on from there, it talks about uh, church history is very important, and we, we need to know exactly where we came from. And we um, welcomed um, Kenya into the family. God bless you, Kenya. Thank you for listening. Uh, looking forward to that, uh, to more people um, being added and I also shared on January 1st, at the beginning of the year, the nature of typo typology, the words typical and typological. And we actually, in this episode, talked about that And so um, with Melchizedek. So um, uh, biblical typology, there you go. So um, just give it a look. A lot of good things to read. Thank you so much for listening to the book of Jude. Oh, man, I love uh, learning about the apostles and what they were preaching and what they were preaching from. I've told you before that I love biblical manuscripts. Just think about this. Think about the apostle James in Jerusalem. He's preaching from the Hebrew scrolls. And, and we're talking about the, the Old Testament, right? And Paul is, let's say he's, in, he's preaching in Antioch. And is he preaching from the Hebrew scrolls? No, he's preaching from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the LXX. And so this is so amazing to me that, you know, James and Paul around the same time, depending on where they were, are preaching from different scrolls to their audience. And so um, um, just to give you an idea, uh, Old Testament the the Hebrew translated, um, you might hear uh, Masoretic text. They had this strict uh, transmission method. It's for it's for accuracy. You know, there's no copy machines back then, so they're writing they're writing over and over. So they would they would to after they got done writing, they would they would have this strict. Uh, methods of somebody counting the number of letters, knowing what the exact middle word was. This is the way they can detect errors because they were trying to be as be as accurate as possible because they were writing the words of God. And that's why it gets me going when these people are speaking, quote unquote, the words of God, and they have no reverence for it whatsoever. They don't hold it to the holy standard that it should be. So the Masoretes were a group of Jewish scribes who helped preserve the text of the Old Testament scriptures. The word Masoret comes from the ancient Hebrew word for bond, used to refer to the Jews' obligation to keep covenant with God. The individual writings that made up the Old Testament were produced under a variety of circumstances. So like the Ten Commandments, they were dictated directly by God, and Moses inscribed them on the tablet of stone. Other parts, like Job, were written by anonymous authors. Some, like Psalms, have different authors, and the individual Psalms were compiled to make the book as we know it. So we are not told exactly who wrote every book in the Old Testament or how the books came to be included in 
the one book that we call the Old Testament. But we all know the Jews call this compilation the Tanakh, which stands for words. The T-N-K stands for Hebrew words, but it, for us it means the law, the prophets, and the writings. So you have the law, which included Genesis to Deuteronomy. The prophets included Joshua to Kings and Isaiah, uh, Malachi, and they excluded Daniel from the um, prophets, the prophecy, uh, but the writings, the writings portion included Psalms, Song of Solomon, and then they put Daniel in there. The book divisions and order are different from what we find in our Old Testament. So there's are, the order is different, but the content is all there. And these were the books that were accepted as the inspired word of God. And people felt that it was important to copy these books and preserve them. In the days before the printing presses, everything had to be copied by hand by scribes. The Hebrew language of the Old Testament was written without vowels. This was not a problem as long as everyone was thoroughly familiar with the language. But as time went on, some Jews were not familiar with it because, you know, some stayed in Babylon after the exile. Others were um raised in the Greek language and culture. So some, of course, were in Palestine, uh, but even there, uh, Hebrew was not always spoken, and so Aramaic eventually became the language of the common man. In the first century AD, there was an effort to standardize, standardize the text of the Old Testament, taking into account of all the manuscripts and variants from across the Roman Empire. So once a reading was agreed upon, the variance was removed, and the scribes began their meticulous work to make exact copies. So the Masoretes were not the first group, but they were the final group of scribes who came together to help preserve the biblical text. The Masoretes' primary work, which lasted about uh, from A.D. 500 to 900, was meticulously copying the text and adding vowels so the pronunciation uh, would be preserved. The Masoretes did not want to add anything to the text itself, so they added vowels as points, combinations of dots and dashes above and below the consonants so that the reader would be able to easily tell the difference between the consonants of the original text and the points that have been added. Because of the Masoretes' repetition of, for accuracy, the Masoretic text came to prominence and was generally accepted by the Jewish readers at the most, uh, as the most accurate. So the Masoretic text is the primary foundation of most of today's Bible translations. Isn't that amazing? So because of this group, this has impacted our translations that we hold in our hand today. And so let's go back to Jesus. When he's reading the Bible, he's reading a Hebrew scroll, and he's teaching. He's teaching from the Hebrew scroll. And Paul, a few years later in Ephesus, referring to the Old Testament Bible, uses the Greek Septuagint. And so when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, uh, we see books like Leviticus and Isaiah not changed. So for a thousand years, there was no change. And yes, there's going to be errors. Anytime man writes something, uh, there's liable to have errors, okay? And, and I love that too. I have copies of manuscripts on my wall that have marginal notes saying, you know, possibly this, possibly that. Um, I love those things. But when anybody tells you there's thousands upon th thousands of variance differences within the Bible, um, between the, the manuscripts. Yes, of course, I know there's thousands of, of variances, but none of them affect or impact the gospel. That message throughout the Bible uh, of God and, and human beings and salvation, uh, everything that's foundational to us and fundamental, and nine times out of ten, it's a grammatical error or something little like that. So, um, but isn't that amazing? Leviticus, Isaiah, for thousands of years, for a thousand years, unchanged. And we have other Hebrew scrolls matching the Greek tradition. And so what they're finding now is the the Old Testament Septuagint, the, the Greek, the LXX, 
um, we're finding other Hebrew scrolls matching those. And we would say when we're studying, those are going to be more reliable. So it's just an amazing process. And I, I hope you uh, get excited just, just as I do. And I hope I'm not boring you. <laughs> Hello, Boca Jude. I just want to remind you there's a lot of great resources out there, and some of which I used in this episode. So the John MacArthur Study Bible, GotQuestions.org, the Big Book of Bible Difficulties from Geyser and Howe. God bless. Something else I would like to add is, as a hospital chaplain, I hear so many times uh, of a near-death experience, and uh, I even met someone recently that, that wrote it all down, someone that has been to heaven and back, and so, uh, or had an encounter with our Lord Jesus, and and saw their past loved ones that have, uh, loved ones that have passed away. The story is all the same. The story is um, closely, almost 100% Little little differences here and there, but here's how the story usually goes when I hear from patients. I saw a bright light. I was taken to heaven. I saw my loved ones there that have gone on before me. And one or two things happen. They either try to take them and, and the person, the patient says, no, I'm not ready. And they go back or um, the their loved ones tell them, no, it's not your time yet. You got to go back. Or they, they have an encounter with uh, um, the Lord Jesus. And so they uh, this is a near-death experience that they have. This is a, a surgery. Um, and I could probably, if, if I was educated enough, probably argue with a near-death experience and a surgery probably has this similar effects on your, your, your body, your heart, your, your, your brain. Um, and so... Um, these people, when they share this with me, I don't condemn them. I listen to them. This is, a lot of times they're crying. They're very emotional. I, I know in my heart that they believe what, they, that what, what happened. They, they say that this wasn't a dream. This wasn't a, uh, that this was real to them. Now, now, I don't doubt that. I know they believe this was real. But I want you to know. When people say they had a dream, they had a vision, they had this, they went to heaven, they came back. Number one, there is only one person that possibly has have went has went to heaven and came back, and that's the Apostle Paul, and he is not allowed to talk about the things. So, again, the Apostle Paul possibly describes something when he... Uh, gets gets caught up and goes goes to heaven and comes back and he says I am not permitted to to speak about or write down what I saw what I experienced. So if that's the case then who in the world do we think we are uh all these people getting the book deals and movie deals and making millions of dollars because they saw Jesus because they um, went to heaven and back, went to hell and back, and writing books and all of these things. Oh, yeah, and if, if you haven't guessed yet, no, I do not believe in any of it. I don't believe that the little boy went to heaven. Uh, heaven is for real stuff. If you listen to his interviews over and over, it gets messy. He doesn't remember. Jesus does stuff that the Father didn't allow. It's just, it's a mess. However, comma, all these people saying, this is what I think Jesus looks like. or I don't have a picture of Jesus in my home. I don't know what Jesus looks like. I'm not going to make an idol. I'm not going to have an image. I don't know what he looks like. I don't need to know it. If he, if he wanted me to, there would have been, in the pages of his Bible, there would have been a picture of him. But there's not. But I listen to these folks. It's all the same. It's a bright light. It's, it's a vision to people. Your mind... Your brain, your mind is a powerful thing. Powerful. I mean, if you think, let's just dumb it down a little bit. Let's talk about our dreams. Have you ever had a dream that you felt was real in the moment? 
And even after you woke up, maybe a f- seconds or a minute after you woke up, you still thought, whoa, is this real? I mean, our minds can, are, they're powerful. Our minds can, can make us believe things that didn't even happen. And so when these people say they have dreams and visions and, and all of these things, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the people in the hospital now. I'm talking about these prosperity prophets. I had a vision. I had a, a, a dream, and this is what God told me. And this, Do you understand if, if Jesus visits somebody and he tells them things for others, that means the words of Christ need to be written down and added to the Bible. And we know that the Bible is a closed canon, that the Old Testament and the New Testament is complete. We're not going to add anything to it. We're not going to take it away, and we shouldn't misuse it. But um, these people don't see it that way, and they say, Jesus told me something. Here you go. This is extra revelation. Um, Again, no, I do not want to hear it. I do not care. If it's not in the Bible, forget about it. So, when, when people, um, I mean, a lot of people that say this, and it's just not true. The, the man who had all the authority to say what he saw said, no, I cannot. And he wasn't even being uh, di- direct about it. The Apostle Paul is whom I'm speaking of. So, um, your mind is a very powerful thing. We have dreams that, that we have nightmares and we wake up scared. Um, when you go under anesthesia and you're, you're having a near-death experience or you're having a surgery or, or what have you, yeah, I believe you're going to experience some things. doesn't mean it's real. Just like a bad dream, you wake up, it wasn't real. Your brain does things. That's all it is. That's all it is. So if you're listening to me and you've ha- you've experienced something like this, don't get me wrong. I believe that you that it was real to you. But I warn you, please, if if it's something to where you're seeing people that have passed on, that you had a visitation from Jesus or any of these other things, please, I I, I give you a, an honest warning. Please don't say anything that would say Jesus said this and I need to share it because now you're talking about opening the uh, New Testament and adding some some words of Christ, right? Or or you're um, you're seeing and talking to people that have passed on that that just doesn't happen. And so again, if that happened to you, I believe you. And if you want to share your experience with your family, you know, with your spouse or siblings or something, go for it. You can say, I don't, I don't know what this was. This is my experience. But do you know how many people that I've heard, they saw the bright light. They, they saw the, the passing loved ones. They were saying, let's go, or they came back. And, and let's be honest, if any of us actually went to heaven, would, would you turn away? I had a guy tell me it was the most beautiful thing. I felt the the peace and the joy. It was colors I've never seen before. It was be- it was wonderful, but I came back. Why would you come back? Why in the world would you come back? If 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 I actually went and saw heaven, I'm not coming back to earth. That's for sure. But I digress. And I also want to remind you, it's a new year. I hope that you are reading your Bible. Nothing is more important than you sitting down with your Bible and reading it. I am doing the chronological reading of the Bible, reading the Bible through in a year. And so I challenge you to do the same. Actually, if you cut out some of your entertainment, you could probably get through the Bible before the year is up. So read your Bible. Reading your Bible is important. Take the Bible and let it speak for itself because it claims to be the Word of God. Over 2,000 times in the Old Testament alone, the Bible asserts that, the, that God 
spoke what is written within the pages from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament and continually throughout, this is what Scripture claims. The phrase, the Word of God, occurs over 40 times in the New Testament. It is equated with the Old Testament. Uh, you'll find that in Mark 7, 13. It is what Jesus preached, Luke 5, 1. It was the message of the apostles and what they taught, Acts 4, 31 and Acts 6, 2. Um, it was the word the Samaritans received, Acts 8, 14, as given by the apostles in Acts 8, 25. It was the message the Gentiles received as preached by Peter. This was the message that Paul preached on all three of his missionary journeys. It was the focus of Luke in the book of Acts and in, in how it spread rapidly and widely. Paul was careful to tell the Corinthians that he spoke the word as it was given to him by God, that it had not been adulterated and that it was a manifestation of truth. Paul acknowledged that it was the source of his preaching. In Scripture, the person of God and the Word of God are everywhere interrelated, so much so that whatever is true about the character is true about the nature of God's Word. God is true, impeccable, and reliable. Therefore, so is His Word. What a person thinks about God's Word in reality reflects what a person thinks about God. God's Word declares that it is inerrant and infallible. In other words, it is true and therefore trustworthy. All of these qualities are dependent on the fact that Scripture is God-given, which guarantees its quality at the source and at its original writing. And now let's get to our problem passage. And we're still in Genesis, of course. We're going to be there for a while. I want to say something. Boy, here's the question. Why did God let Abraham prosper by lying? A lot of times we lift up these these people in the Old Testament and in the Bible and say, wow, if, if I could just have faith like Abraham, right? This man lies. He's a liar. So here's the problem. Genesis 12, 10 to 20, and we see it again in Genesis 20, 1 to 18. We are told in the Bible not to lie, right? So that's course one of the ten commandments exodus twenty sixteen. but when abraham lied about sarah his wealth was increased ah okay double standard for abraham here so first abraham's increase of course i'm going to solve this now so uh from the book remember big the big book of bible difficulties from geyser and how uh so here's the solution they they have for us First, Abraham's increase in wealth should not be viewed as a divine reward for his lie. Well, obviously. Pharaoh's gifts to him were understandable. Pharaoh ha may have felt obligated to pay amends for the wicked uh, constraint that his corrupt society put on strangers who visited the land. Furthermore, Pharaoh may have felt he had to make amends to Abraham for unwittingly taking his wife into his palace. Adultery was strictly forbidden by the Egyptian religion, so it's good to know that. Uh, what is more, Abraham paid for his sin. The years of trouble that followed may have been a direct result of his lack of faith in God's protecting power. So finally, although some people are portrayed as men of God, they are still fallible and responsible for their own sin. So they have an example of David and Bathsheba, and God blessed them in spite of, not because of their sins. So what do you think? Is that a good uh, answer to the problem? Let me know. Genesis 14, oh, this is a good one. Who was Melchizedek? Who was Melchizedek? Uh, there is some debate over the nature of Melchizedek. Was he a historical person, a supernormal being? or I would say a divine being, or just a mythical figure. So he's also mentioned in Hebrews 7. So because of that, some have interpreted Melchizedek as being an angel or even the an appearance of Christ, a Christophany. So if we see Christ, the second person in the Trinity, if we see him show up in the Old Testament, which I believe he does, um, that's called a Christophany. So this 
Here's what they say, back to the text. This is not likely since the author of Hebrews was using Melchizedek to be a type of Christ, and that is the more prominent argument. It's a t Melchizedek was a real person, but he was a type of Christ. All right, uh, back to the text. In, in Genesis, Melchizedek is pre presented as an ordinary historical, in an ordinary historical manner. He meets and speaks with Abraham in an ordinary manner, there is no reason uh, to question the historical character of Melchizedek. And that's where they stop. So I actually have, have taught on this. And um, for a long time, I thought it was a Christophany um, because of the word Melchizedek is king and priest. And so obviously that, that applies to Jesus. So at the very least, it is a type of Christ. But let me know what you think. Is it was it really a Christophany or was it a real person? All right, so those were quick ones. Let's let's go to another one. I hope you're enjoying this. Genesis fifteen sixteen. The question is, or the problem, did the Exodus occur in the fourth generation or in the sixth? So what are they talking about? The problem is, here the Bible speaks of the Exodus as being in the fourth generation from the time of Jacob's descent to Egypt. However, According to the genealogical tables in First Chronicles two, one to nine, and Matthew one three to four, it was really in the sixth generation. Hmm. So, namely, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Amminadab, uh, and Nashon. So, here's their solution. The author's solution. The word generation in Genesis 15:16 is defined in the very passage as 100 years since the fourth generation is used to refer to the 400 years so Genesis 15 is referring to the amount of time and first chronicles is speaking of the number of people involved in that same period wow so you really got to again do some do some math which i hate but I'm going to read the solution again in case someone asks you this. This is described as a problem passage. The word generation in Genesis 15:16 is defined in that same passage of 100 years. Since the fourth generation, verse 16, is used to refer to 400 years, verse 13. So Genesis 15 is referring to the amount of time and First Chronicles is speaking of the number of people involved in that same period. The next one is, was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah homosexuality or something else? And I would love to talk about that. And does God, does the Bible condone incest? If incest is condemned, why did Abraham marry his sister? Okay, so... So more to follow in the weeks ahead. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Book of Jude. Thank you so much. We are on all platforms. Wherever you stream, listen to podcasts, we should be there. If not, let me know. Facebook, Book of Jude page is where we can connect. Uh, hit like and, and uh, subscribe to all these things and so we can uh, better connect. Last week, I gave some shout outs to uh, the listeners from all around the world. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening to me. If you're not a part of the United States, uh, rambling on in the first part of it, I just wanted to talk about some current events and politics just because it bled over to Christianity and theology and the Bible. And so uh, with that, I say God bless you.